Hello and welcome back to the Body and Mindfulness Collective podcast with me, Emilia and Louis. Hello everyone. So we are podcast number three today um, and we've actually got quite a lot to talk about, which is exciting. Um, But how are you, Louis? I'm pretty good, thanks. Yeah, how about yourself? I am sweet, thank you. Awesome. Very good. How's your week been? Um, it's been pretty interesting so far. So um, the yesterday, so I had a talk or attended a, a AFN, which is the Association for Nutrition that we're both registered with. Um, they had a talk in Birmingham and it was about sort of, it was called Nourishing Young Minds. So it was about working with children and nurseries and um, sort of the plans that are around the Midlands at the moment, working with them, what, what they're potentially implementing and there were some interesting discussions uh, there, but uh, how about you? That sounded quite um, what sort I'm looking for ominous, interesting discussion. Yeah, um, so uh, there was two incidents that sort of there was a lot of good things, and there was a, so there's three overall that were like I'm going to mention, but two weren't so good, and one was amazing. So uh, the two not so good were uh, the first talker. Um, well, the first speaker, sorry, was presenting on implementing sort of a award system for schools in the Midlands and um, was using words, basically suggesting certain foods are bad compared to others and how they'd sort of help schools develop the implement plans where they're having no chocolate. And um, I eventually, at the end of the talk, asked the question was about um, what you, what's your opinion on demonizing certain foods um as you sort of just said that you don't allow chocolate in children's box um lunch boxes um so yeah that the room went a bit silent when i brought that up but it was um it was that was interesting and then the second one was i heard i think there were two nutrition practitioners uh discussing behind me um and they were discussing one of them just brought up saying oh you're back on slimming world which i was a bit as a nutritionist you sort of assume that don't go to those uh slimming groups because they don't really align with what we're trying to do and sort of the moral but sort of belief and ethics behind it aren't really that good um but yeah they were discussing it and um i was a bit shocked by that and do you yeah. know what i'm surprised by is that the uh, the, the nutritionist could go to slimming world where the person that teaches nutrition is like no offense but susan from the shop yeah. like yeah. it's somebody that's got no experience at all and you're sitting there taking nutrition advice from them and i know that a lot of the time they say people say that they just go to get weighed and for the community aspect etc but ultimately you're still being led by somebody who you know has got no qualifications exactly the type of person that we are fighting against as registered nutritionists <laughs> yeah and like we all know that it's 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 energy balance at the end of the day and as a practitioner you're educating people on how to even if like some of the nutrition people who work in the nutrition industry who are registered work in the food industry but they know about energy balance as well because it's taught across all the modules and all the all the courses it should be um and you just expect people not to want to be or support that sort of belief where people are demonizing foods where people aren't educated about energy balance as part of that slimming group um so it just seemed a bit i was just shocked more than anything but i suppose slimming world lets you eat unlimited amount of chips right 
yeah. I'm sure I read that somewhere. So, you know, I feel like that's my type of uh, nutrition. Just, yeah. Just unlimited amount of chips. And like um, bananas are free, so you can have bananas, but if you mash them, then they've got sins in. So, um, <laughs> so you can't have mashed banana. Um, oh, poor babies, poor babies everywhere. Having sins all day, every day. W- waking up obese because they've had their mashed bananas. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, anyway, we could, we could go on about some more forever. Yeah. Um, and then there was a really good presentation by a company called Chartwells, who work under the Compass Group, who um, I think work nationwide. And they were very sort of delivering uh, a very food neutral approach and working a lot within schools. Um, and some of the practices that they did with very young children were really interesting, sort of like having mindful experiences around food, getting them to try new foods and get them to squeeze it and like so they can hear the crunch of it next to their ear, smell it. Um, and the girls who delivered that were amazing and it sort of was like a child's version of what we try to do. And um, so oh, that, cool. that was really cool and like really good uh, edible art for kids. So getting lots of different, a bright colour, of a bright array of sort of colors in fruits and vegetables and that's create some art out of it and at the end of it they get to eat it and um yeah it just seemed it just seemed like a really good idea and really positive considering what the first talk and what i'd overheard earlier it was just like oh that was definitely something to take on board and have a look into so yeah that really really um really good day of learning uh meeting other practitioners as well and sort of getting exposed to something that i'm not really in the sphere of that much of childhood nutrition or working within schools and public health so yeah it's interesting cool very cool and nice to know that what we're doing is getting filtered down obviously it's all because of us um (laughs) um, my week has been slightly less exciting i'm doing some um well i'm not i'm doing some writing for a course that myself and emma are developing um it's really exciting in the year i'm trying to play it down because i'm trying to play it down so that i don't bore everyone talking about it all the time but yes i am writing a new nutrition course which is going to be aimed um predominantly at people who just want to improve their own nutrition so um and it's going to be very much um evidence-based compassionate compassion kind of undertone all the way throughout so i'm very excited but I'm not going to talk any more about it. So I'll wait till we've done more work on it. <laughs> Absolute tease. <laughs> um, I've heard that before. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Do you, we've got quite a few questions to go through today. Um, so we've had a couple of questions on the Facebook group, which are awesome. So thank you to those of you who have commented on the Facebook group and, and asked questions because it's really helpful for us for to give you guys what you want basically um do before we go into the facebook questions lou do you have any client questions or i'm not sure if you do I can't um i've got uh one that's came up quite a lot recently is sort of exercise swaps and um people asking if it's okay to swap certain exercises in and out uh, maybe because that piece of equipment's not available and um yeah, it's just sort of a general question that they get to the gym, they've got their exercise plan or their gym program planned out, and then they hit a bit of a sticking point because, I don't know, the squat rack or the leg press is busy and um, just looking for alternatives. So what's your stance on this? I'm going to let you answer this one because I feel like you've got an answer come almost falling out of your mouth. I can hear it. So <laughs> go for it. just go for it. 
Um, so um, I'm going to develop a resource for the group. Uh, I've already put one up before, which was about um, different movement patterns and how uh, which muscle groups they sort of work as their primary muscle group and secondary, and maybe a third one if they do. Um, so usually split movements up into certain categories. So you might have a squat pattern, hip hinge, um, these sort of main lower body compound lifts. So a squat pattern would be like a barbell squat or a goblet squat. And I'd say that if you can pick a movement from a similar or from the same category. So if you've got, say you've got barbell squats on your program, a kettlebell squat or a goblet squat, um, or even a single leg, like split squat, it's going to work the same muscle groups. And as long as you're using appropriate weight or tension or timing, whatever, or load, um, it's, it's pretty much the same. The muscle doesn't know what exercise you're doing really. It just knows tension through it. So as long as we're stimulating that muscle to the same extent, um, it's fine to swap exercises if you can't get it for that week. One thing I would say is though that you, as part of your strength and development program, ideally we want to be doing the same movements for a couple of weeks because you, you actually become more skillful at them as well. So you actually learn how to connect to your mind muscle sort of connection there and learn how to stimulate them a bit more. So um, whilst we do encourage like variety and um, changing up, it's good to have like blocks where it's kind of consistent. So um, I'll be putting a resource in the group soon of sort of um, sort of the movement pattern. So where you've got your squat, your hip, hip hinge, vertical pull, vertical push, um, horizontal pull, horizontal push. Um, and then there's a few other sort of various ones. But then exercises that you can swap if you can't access that bit of equipment then ones that we can swap in. Perfect. I don't really have anything else to add on that, really. Like, realistically, you want to you want to stick to your main lift that you, in your programme if you can. And in an ideal world, we would do that all the time. And obviously, like you said, when you just sub out the lift, the muscle doesn't really know. The only difference really is where you're applying the load. But realistically speaking, uh, if you're, unless you're changing it all the time, it doesn't really make a huge amount of difference. So I'm yeah. gonna, I don't really have anything else to add. So awesome awesome um so that's training tips and yes. um, question that we had um on the facebook group is about <laughs> the question is something on how hormones impact everything slash strength <laughs> <laughs> so basically hormones um which is obviously very general um but i know what this person is referring to in general and she's really talking about how hormones will impact our strength, recovery, training, and potentially our nutrition. And I think um, we should just really dive into it because it's so it's it's not so complex, but there's I mean there's so much we can talk about, and we do try and keep these podcasts relatively concise for you guys because we don't all have hours to listen to podcasts. Like Joe Rogan's are like four hours long, and I don't it riles me. So um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think we should probably tackle it in terms of what happens with our hormones over our cycle. Say hours, Lee. I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm going to leave this answer to you because <laughs> as as a male, like we're very, I'm very privileged in that position where I don't have to consider this really. And I think until I started working with a lot of women and sort of it got discussed a lot more in the industry in the last sort of year or two, um, I was probably a bit naive to it myself. And it's just amazing to see how much it can affect some people. So the floor is yours, Amelia. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, prepare for a monologue. <laughs> um, no, so I think one thing to say 
first is that in general the effect of hormones on uh, everything in the fitness space is pretty overhyped um, it's used a lot as I think a bit of a selling point for people um, to get buy-in and to sound like they know what they're talking about and to sound more intellectual potentially not everyone but a lot of people do kind of sell a message that is potentially overhyped um, the second thing that I want to say is whatever I'm talking about today is very very specific to an individual so when you actually look at the research around um, hormones and strength and nutrition um, there are certain things that are consistent between people but the impact for example on strength is very specific to the ind individual person potential impact on appetite is specific to the individual person and we see this huge variability in participants when we look at the research so when I'm talking about it please don't kind of listen and then feel like you should expect these things to happen because what often happens is if I if I tell you as your coach if I turn around and say right you're going to get really hungry next week then the placebo effect is potentially going to kick in and you're going to feel really hungry next week because I've told you that you're going to be really hungry next week and that's the placebo effect is really powerful we know that in in research so please don't expect these things to happen it's just that these things can potentially happen um, and I think that's really important to remember um, so when we're looking at hormones what we get so most people have roughly a 28 to 32 day cycle um, most people and you get ovulation roughly somewhere in the middle of that so say like day 14-ish you you get um, average ovulation um, before ovulation we have what's called the follicular phase and after ovulation we have what's called the luteal phase and they're the two kind of main phases of our cycle um, at the start of the start of your cycle starts with the first day that you get your period so as soon as you get your period that's cycle day one um, and then you move up through to 28 to 32 roughly on average um, and what happens um, at the start of your cycle is that after a couple of days estrogen will start to slowly rise so estrogen and progesterone are the two hormones that are I'm going to talk about today because they have the most influence potentially on nutrition and training so what happens is in the follicular phase estrogen slowly starts to rise until just before ovulation when we get a, a peak in estrogen um, and that's the, the dominant hormone in this first sort of 14 days of our cycle then what happens is we will ovulate and estrogen starts to come back down but what happens after ovulation is that we get a rise in progesterone so that's the other hormone and that will slowly increase after ovulation um, and then it peaks just before the start of your next period. Okay, so estrogen's dominant in the first part, progesterone's dominant in the second part of your cycle. So just keep those two, that kind of ratio in mind. Um, and so what we hear with, especially in the fitness industry, is that, oh my God, I've got PMS, therefore I'm going to be really hungry during this time. And when you've got PMS, you get really weak and you shouldn't be training. And a lot of questions I will get asked is, you know, should I be training when I've got PMS? And should I be dieting when I've got PMS? And things like that. So that's kind of the thing that I think that we want to talk about today from what I can, from what I can gather from that question. We could always go into certain bits of it in more detail. Are you with me so far, Louis? Yes, I'm still here. <laughs> Gone for a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in general so like I said the research is really 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 mixed 
Um, and when we look at nutrition, we'll talk about nutrition first and then we'll talk about training. So when we look at nutrition, the first thing I'm going to talk about is your appetite. Some people will feel um, during the luteal phase, so the second part of their cycle and towards, the, towards their period, that they get really, really hungry. And some people won't notice it at all. And what the research suggests is that for most people, there's between 8 to 16% increase in metabolic rate. Okay, so in actual numbers, that's probably about 100 to 200-ish calories in the week before your period. Your, your basal metabolic rate might increase. Okay, so it's not a huge amount. 200 calories is a couple of slices of bread, say, or a protein bar or something like that. So if you find that you are hungrier in, um, when you've got PMS, then that, like, that's perfectly normal for you. And that's okay. That's explained by the increase in BMR. So if that does happen to you, if you're tracking then and you really notice it, then obviously you can speak to your coach, whether that be me, Louie or Anna, and say that you really struggle during that time. And it might be a case of during that week, you track in 200 more calories a day just to kind of tide you over with that hunger. Um, it could be that you find it really, really hard and you're really hungry in which case you might want to go back up to maintenance calories for that week um, just to tide you over again. Or it could be that you're hungry, but actually you don't really care about being hungry and you might be dieting right now. And actually you think, yes, that's another 100 or 200 calorie deficit that I can be in just by sticking to my macros. And that's also fine. So it's very specific to you personally about what you want to do. And if you're not tracking, and you're working on honoring your hunger. Here all the time, like people saying, oh, I was just so hungry and I don't know why. Like, this is a really good time for you to tune into your hunger and, and notice changes in your appetite and honour that hunger. So I know for myself, I am insatiable that week. I swear it's not 200 calories for me, <laughs> but I'm just insatiable. So I just go, I don't track my food. So I'll just say, right, okay, of course I'm hungrier this week. That's natural. I'm going to honour it and I'm going to eat some more. Um, and so, like I said, it's very individual, but if it is you, that's completely normal to happen in the week before your period and you can work with your coach to to figure out something that works for you at that time um the other thing that we hear about a lot with nutrition and periods um is this kind of idea that we should be switching our macronutrient composition before our period and where that's come from is that what happens during the luteal phase, and so remember that's the second half of our cycle, is that we do get this kind of very, very slight degree of insulin resistance. So it's very slight, so we become um, less sensitive to insulin. Um, so we use slightly less carbohydrate and we use more fat for energy. So um, there's not really much to say about that other than you might think that you will burn more fat because you're using more fat for energy, but that's not the case. You just get this slight, slight insulin resistance, but actually a lot of that is offset with exercise anyway, because exercise um, reduces insulin resistance. So a lot of people in the industry will tell you that because, you, because carbohydrate use during that time is decreased, and fat use during that time is increased, that you should switch your macros around. So you, there is some 
talk that you should have more fat at that time and fewer carbohydrates at that time. So again, I'm talking about that kind of PMS time roughly. However, as far as I'm aware, there's one study that's looked at that and it, was a, it wasn't a great study um, and it didn't have a great degree of variation in carbohydrate content. Um, and it, there were quite a few limitations to the study. In general, at this point in time, there's no kind of conclusive evidence to say that changing your macronutrient composition is helpful at all. So, and actually there's some research that suggests that in people that don't track their macros, naturally they, they, eat, they prefer a bit more fat in P, during PMS, um, potentially because of that. So you don't need to do anything with your carbohydrate and your fat macros, despite the fact that you can use fuels a little bit differently. It doesn't make a difference to what you actually have to eat in terms of carbohydrate and fat. Just go with preference because we talk about this a lot. Like your carbohydrate and fat um, ratios in general are not hugely important um, in, in terms of fat loss, at least. Um, so that's that. So when you're thinking about nutrition, if you're hungrier, that's fine. Perfectly normal. A couple of hundred calories. Um, work with your coach to figure out if you want to track that in or you want to accept the deficit or you're going to honour that hunger. It completely depends on your goals. You don't need to change your carbs and fat. Does that make sense, Louis? Yes, it does. I've written all my notes. Thank you very much uh, for covering <laughs> that for me. <laughs> this is really helpful for me because you can just you can just treat it like a... I know that you know this stuff, but you can treat <laughs> it like being a student. <laughs> um, okay, so then... When we're thinking about nutrition, I'm trying to keep this as concise as I can, really, but when we're thinking about nutrition, uh, sorry, training, there are, there's a little bit more evidence to support periodizing um, training around our periods. And the reason is this. Remember when I was talking about the start of the menstrual cycle, so the first 14 days, remember I said estrogen was dominant in the first 14 days. And in the second 14 days, I said, progesterone was was dominant progesterone um tends to reduce strength and estrogen tends to have a positive effect on muscle strength um, it helps the muscle repair and it's what we call anti-catabolic so it's anti-breakdown catabolic means breakdown so estrogen tends to be tends to be positive for muscle strength and progesterone actually appears to do the opposite so what we actually find is that we're, women often are strongest in the follicular phase just before ovulation. So maybe cycles day 10 to 14-ish, depending on your cycle length, might be when you find that you're your strongest. So that might be when you might hit your PBs and that might be when you really push as hard, like you think I can really go in and push really hard this week. Um, because that's generally when we find it we're strongest. Um, and then when we get into the luteal phase and towards the end of the luteal phase, that's when progesterone is highest. Um, and that's when we find that potentially we're weaker. And often you might find that during PMS, you just feel really weak. And what also happens with PMS is that you potentially have weight gain. You're potentially frustrated. You feel like crap. Um, you go into the gym in a really, really bad mood. Your temperature is higher. So you're sweaty. You feel like crap. You go into the gym. You, you chance of you having a good session potentially are a little bit mitigated from the get-go. Um, combined with the fact your progesterone is higher at that time, you potentially might be weaker. 
Again, this doesn't happen with everyone. This is very much, um, it's very variable, but there has been research that's looked at what happens if we um, increase volume in the first couple of weeks of the cycle, um, increase training volume, and then reduce it towards the end of um, the cycle. And it potentially could lead to better strength gains um, and better muscle mass development if you front load your training in the first part of your cycle. So there is some evidence potentially for strength differences. And so if that's something that you find that PMS time, you are weaker, um, then again, work with your coach and, and chat about it. But what I'll, I'll do with some of my clients is we'll auto-regulate deloads. And that's what I do with myself as well. So when I know that I've got PMS and girls, we generally know when we have PMS, I'll just go, do you know what? it's not going to happen for me today I feel foul and I'll just decide that week's going to be my deload um, a couple of days after your period starts then um, your estrogen starts to rise again and your progesterone is low and you can start pushing your training again and for some people like I said you won't even notice um, so something to work with your coach on if you're taking um, contraception so somebody on the Facebook group said asked about um oral contraceptives and she said what are our thoughts on them um so with oral contraceptives what tends to happen is that again the research is a little bit sketchy but um you tend to um it tends to mitigate these changes slightly um so most contraceptives are um combined although you do get some that progesterone only but most are um estrogen and progesterone um and so it might reduce the impact of hormones on on your basal metabolic rate and your strength changes but again the um evidence behind it is really sketchy so we don't actually know um how much of an effect it does have um in terms of my opinion on them do you have an opinion on them Louis in terms of uh, you may or may not in terms of the concept of Phil um, well, I know a lot of women who I sort of know as friends and who I've worked with um, have a lot of issues with it and it can take a while to find one that suits you best um, one thing that I sort of want to echo that you've said a few times as well during this is that we don't want to go looking and blaming the menstrual cycle for certain things. Um, and I think if you notice a trend over time, then that's fantastic. But there's other things that can affect sort of your strength as well. And checking that everything else is in line and not looking, be like, oh, well, um, it's because I'm always in my period, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting a PB or, um, oh, I've just had my period, so I'm not feeling very strong today. It's sort of making sure that like we're getting our sleep right, we're eating right and hydrate and all these other things as well before we look straight to well I'll, I'm I'm not going to train after my period because I don't, I'm not really strong it's sort of it's one of those things that it may have an effect it's very individual and noticing over time potentially that there's a certain pattern there I think that might be something to look for yeah I think that's yeah of course we don't want to these are all the kind of potentials I suppose is the right phrase yeah um so, yeah, with the oral contraceptive, my personal opinion is preference. Mm -hmm. My opinion is that if you, 
if you're on the oral contraceptive pill, what can happen is that it masks potentially um, hypothalamic amenorrhea. So if you're at risk of that, then that is a, a kind of contraindic contraindication to it because you don't get a real period as such. Um, I would never advise either way really with the contraceptive pill. I would do it one-to-one -one, um, uh, potentially, but... <sighs> Yeah, I, I, it's very, it's very, very individual. I yeah. don't take it, um, but I have done, and yeah, it's not. I, I wouldn't ever sort of scaremonger in terms of taking the contraceptive pill and the impacts that it has. Put it that way. Um, just quickly, someone else has just commented on the Facebook question, um, asking about hormones, um, because she is approaching or is perimenopausal, um, and hormones are really raiding her life so it is a really tough time like menopause and perimenopause is really tough um because the hormones are kind of all over the place um, and what you tend to find around this time is that there begins like a kind of decline in muscle mass and strength um estrogen because estrogen starts to decline um i remember i said estrogen is kind of anti-catabolic anti-breakdown and um, we get a decline in estrogen and then uh, kind of decline in muscle mass and strength however strength training and optimizing protein um, and calories at that time is so important um, and it can really really help maintain muscle mass um, but in terms of the kind of PMS type symptoms they're a lot they're, they can be a lot more pronounced there's a couple of supplements that i want to mention and if you are thinking about it please speak please speak to your coach don't just take any of these supplements because some of them do have contraindications but um if you are suffering with pms and the person who is asking about menopause we can chat about this um or you can chat with your coach i can't remember who asked it now um but there's a couple of supplements. Make sure you should all be taking vitamin D anyway when it's between the months of October and April in the UK. Um, vitamin D, but vitamin B6 can be helpful. Magnesium. And there's another supplement called Vitex or Chasteberry, which has got some evidence. It's not huge, got a huge evidence based yet, but it does have some evidence to um, support um, attenuation of PMS symptoms, so reduction of PMS symptoms. So that was Vitex. So if you, you're all working with us as coaches. So if this is something you want to consider, please speak to us. Because like I said, there are some contraindications to all of these things. So we want to make sure that you're not taking supplements for no reason and or to your detriment. But that can help with some PMS symptoms. Oh, that was like a mouthful for 8pm on a Wednesday. <laughs> I feel bad because I, I didn't really uh, last... 20 minutes <laughs> I was just writing notes <laughs> don't feel bad it's good because I it's good it's uh, nice for me to what can I say I like a monologue sometimes it's like I'm teaching again um but no and obviously your contribution is always appreciated and it was at the start of the podcast but if you've got any questions on this stuff obviously guys ask away in the Facebook group ask your coach I know that I went through quite a lot today and it's and I'm because I'm mindful of the time and I didn't want to go into too much detail. But if there's any other questions you want or you want us to talk about more, then when just just write in the Facebook group and we shall. Your wish is our command, pretty much. And I never say that to anyone else. So <laughs> <laughs> um, anything 
anything you got to say, Louis? I think I'm officially done. Um, no, I think you've covered pretty much everything there. Um, there was one more question about sort of like celiac alternatives in the group um, or like what regular meals. But um, from my personal experience, because the range is so good now, most things are the same. You tend to stay at, well, I find when I spoke to other people who uh, have like issues with gluten, is not many people tend to buy bread because it's far too expensive and it's still not very good. Um, pasta is okay, but most people tend to stick to sort of potatoes and rice and or like spaghetti alternatives that you can get there, like your um, soya base and things. Um, and then, um, yeah, it's just most same as most people really, just usual, nothing too exciting. Um, and yeah, it's unfortunately i'm sorry to be a disappointment but it's it's um there's no sort of um fancy sort of meals it's usually quite basic stuff chicken um usually have poultry quite a lot a lot of um oily fish and sort of white fish uh tend to try and have a lot more lentils and beans in my diet now to increase my fiber intake and always make sure i have a good portion of salad with there uh, alongside it and yeah that's pretty much it there you go the life of a celiac yeah, living that dream. <laughs> and lots of squashies. Lots of squashies. Ah, oh, to be fair, I haven't had haven't had squashies in quite a while. Um, and it it would have been I had some like last week, and that was the first time in probably about a month or two I'd had them. And I was like, oh, why haven't I had? Something. Yeah, I was like, why haven't I had squashies in this long? I was I was quite upset with myself. I was having like, <laughs> I was like, That's well, a why? Of your life. Yeah, I was like, well, why haven't you done this, Louis? And then. Um, <laughs> I got a bag and I was like, these are golden. So, yeah, I will be having a lot more squashies recent, uh, from now on. Glad to hear it. Um, on that note, we are done. It's slightly longer today, but hopefully we've covered everything. Um, awesome. And, yeah, we will get one recorded for you again in a couple of weeks, potentially next week, if you guys have enough questions for us. No pressure. <laughs> right, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Louis. No, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I think it's been a really valuable podcast for a lot of people. So um, if you are enjoying them as well, uh, just let us know in the group if you've given them a listen as well, because I know we've got quite a few listeners and downloads. But um, and it, yeah, like Amelia said, if you've got any topics you want us to cover, that means that we can sort of look at them in advance and sort of maybe do a bit more digging for you to see if any sort of anything that we haven't seen before. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.